Well, they, they're watching us now, whatever this is. Katie, what were you holding up? What is that? Is that a program or something? Uh, no. When I was at the screening, they gave everybody like little play cards and stuff. Oh. Um, and I got the Ace of Diamonds. And then they announced anyone who has the Ace of Diamonds gets this little uh, notepad. I am so oh. jelly. That's so awesome. That, that it's no so pad. cute. It I is. Mean, I love this argyle um, pattern and stuff. So yeah, I thought that was cute. Well, um, I I'm still trying to figure out the 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 playing card thing. Now here here's wait. Okay, before we get into it, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and put on the spoiler banner. So, folks, you've been warned. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, we are Earth's Mightiest Critics uh, back for the first time in 2024. We're having a live roundtable. Uh, we skipped right past the cinematic graveyard that is January. And now we're going to talk about an animated corpse named Argyle. I, I kid. Not really. Uh, $200 million <laughs> film by Matthew Vaughn made $18 million, which is amazing if you are a micro-budget film. But this is uh, not. And... Um, so yeah, Argyle, uh, I, I don't like the main character. I too am suffering from a severe case of amnesia because uh, the further I get away from this movie, the, the less I remember of it. Uh, so help me out. What What's the significance of the playing cards? Is this just a cool thing, Katie, or did I misremember something and there was like playing cards in the movie? No, I can't remember <laughs> anything about the playing cards. Why? Oh, it's just well, another idea that drifts in and drifts out of the film without yeah, any real rhyme or reason, like so many of the other ideas in this movie, I dare say. I can it's understand like... a pen, but yeah, regarding the playing cards, I don't, yeah, I don't know. But I do like the fact that you've got the little Argyle guy on there. Yes, uh, it looks, it looks little... oddly like Henry Cavill. I got the yeah, triangular shoulders and hair, yeah. The, the, um, the cards weren't uh integral in the movie at all but that design was part of the cover of the argyle books that were written by our author in the film so. yes let's kick things off um because i do want to talk about the the book the book within the movie and the book outside the movie but before we do that we're gonna do our introductions i am ian simmons of kicking the seat welcome everybody mark the movie man krachak the real argyle of the spoiler room <laughs> podcast and Special Mark Productions, Jeff York of The Establishing Shot, and Katie Glidewell of The Blonde in Front. Or not even of The Blonde in Front. You are The Blonde in Front. And blonde she in front. is The yeah. Blonde in Front. Down and, in and, front. Yeah. And we are so happy you could join us for, for circumstances I will not disclose. I, we are all very happy and surprised that you were able to join us tonight. Uh, so Lee, You're not going to be the only one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course. Well, okay. So first of all... Uh, I half read all the news about Taylor Swift. Um, so I understand that there was a book version of Argyle that came out coinciding with the film. I believe it is supposed to be the the fictional book, the spy thriller that is in the movie that mm -hmm. was written by Bryce Dallas Howard's character. And I guess there's really little known about the author, but there's a big conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift may have uh, written that novel. Uh, any thoughts on that, or is it just more hype leading up to the Super Bowl and trying to s get more butts and seats for this thing? I mean, she I'm going to say... tickets and... Yeah, anything... Tweets and everything you, else. So. You say anything with Taylor Swift on it, and it's just it just turns to gold. So if yeah. they're going to try and do some, you know, uh, gung-ho marketing on that to, like, get the buzz around, it's like, well, you know... Or Taylor Swift, and it's like, what? Um, yeah, I could see a bunch of people just buying tickets for that. It's not the dumbest thing to do, I mean, but uh, no, I don't think Taylor Swift had anything to do with this film. <laughs> and I don't either, because when you said anything Taylor Swift touches turns to gold, that's not the case no. with Argyle, so mystery yeah. solved. And yeah. and apparently... Five minutes that, in. And it might just be one of many ruses. Apparently, Matthew Vaughn did go on a uh, record to Rolling Stone just recently about this exact thing and that it was not written by Taylor Swift. Hmm. Uh, she, he, he went on record saying he she did not write the book behind the Ellie Conway pseudonym. Uh, That's exactly what someone <laughs> who was trying to keep a conspiracy going would say. Um, exactly. 
True. Now, well the played, other thing, Vaughn. Well played. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a, that is a first class hoax. Um, yeah. All right. So I, the other thing about this uh, this novel, Argyle, book one. Um, in the movie, Ellie Conway, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, is a very successful uh, spy author. Um, you know, she's a single woman, lives in a beautiful, like, lake house in Colorado with her cat, who is very prominently featured in the marketing. Another uh, another misdirect. Um, and she writes all these thrillers. Uh, and they're called Argyle, but they're all car- called Argyle Book 1, Argyle Book 2, Book 3, Book 4. Book 5 is In the Pipe. Now, what almost instantly took me out of this movie is that I'm supposed to believe this is a, a famous, very beloved spy franchise. No books are named that. It's all, you think, if this is like a James Bond knockoff, it'd be like Dr. No, Casino Royale, for her eyes only or whatever. Not James Bond, book 23. Um, I, I just don't see people getting excited about that. Um, actually, it, Ian, if you don't mind me interjecting, I please. think you've actually, and I don't mean to start us off... <laughs> <laughs> but I think we already have, and it's not me, Katie. So we'll, we'll still have brunch someday. Um, but um, I think you've actually underlined the exact problem with every single part of this whole shebang. Uh, and that is that it hasn't been thought through. Now, we may think it has been. I mean, you could argue that, you know, by the time production is done and uh, DPS to set up shots and everything else that all this is sort of really figured darn well, but it's not. And it starts with a very sloppy, and this is my word for this all today, tonight is it's sloppy. It's not thought through. The characters don't really get thought through uh, logically. There's not a lot of dialogue in it. And some of the basic things that they're trying to sell as the premise of this don't make sense. The authorship. I'll do you one better than the title, Zian. Five books in five years? I don't think so. Nobody mm-hmm. recognizes her, and she has this great backstory. I'm sorry that it's not washing. And then the whole reason they're going after her is because she knows so much. It's the Tom Clancy thing. When Tom Clancy first wrote his uh, first couple of books, uh, the government came a-calling because Tom Clancy knew too much about stuff, and they wondered if he was a spy. So he had to explain to them, Nope, it's online, folks. It's down at the library. I looked all this stuff up there. I just did very, very good research. It's you know sort of like Three Days of the Condor, except thankfully he didn't get killed. But here, uh, she's writing, written five books in five years with no titles. It knows everything about it, that all these people come after her. But nobody knows who she is. None of that makes sense. And that is the very premise of this film. And... To me, if you're going to do this thing where you have to sort of set this person up like, wow, she is really so knowing of the spy world, then you have to have more than just that as the plot to get going. You need a good MacGuffin or you need something that she's written about that maybe shouldn't have been written about that is the trigger for all this. But I will be honest with you, in the first 10 minutes when they show her book come to life as she's reading it, there's nothing about that that resembles modern spyware and spy fair anywhere. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's it's like a version, it's like the 17th Xerox version of a Bond movie. There's nothing at all remotely real about any of that. So they don't even get that right. I mean, if it was one thing that, you know, there's a secret counter system to the release of a bomb or something like that that she wrote about and people go, well, shit, that's what the ZI has. How does she know that? Give me that. But they don't even do that. It's just utterly absurd that... She's supposedly this spy who's now an author, though she doesn't know it, and she writes a, 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 a book that's chock full of crazy fantasy, and yet we're all watching these people run around like she's exposing trade secrets that everybody wants to know why. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it, it didn't why, – why they started off with that out, without that being figured out, I do not know, because I, I think the whole thing collapses on the very premise. Well, I think, I mean, I, I like the premise of her writing these books. And, and again, spoilers, folks, if you haven't seen the movie, which means that you're in the majority of people who watch movies um, <laughs> at this point. Uh, yes. And I even thought about this because I had a lot of free mental time in my hands watching this movie because, Jeff, you said there's not a lot of dialogue. There's too much dialogue in this. People, people are just well, not witty dialogue. Oh, okay. not witty dialogue. But you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about the, the, the title Argyle. If you break it apart, the the whole mystery of this ad campaign is who is Agent Argyle? And Argyle, if you break that up, it's Argy 
L-E, you know, yeah, the, exactly. the person we're trying to figure that's out. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of cute and clever. But if you want to, you know, spy send-ups are almost so overplayed that it'd be great to do a movie that's based on a franchise that people really love that actually gets into, like, recreate an actual spy thriller. I would love to see the opening of this movie, the fantasy sequence, be like the opening scene of Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Like a grim, gritty, like completely serious spy thriller. And then all of a sudden, at the last moment, everything kind of falls apart, you know, instead of this winking, you know, everything's cute. It's it, it's the ad campaign of, you know, Henry Cavill dancing with Dua Lipa um, and then John Cena's there and there's gunplay and all that stuff. It's completely ridiculous. And I don't see, you know, the Hunger Games, even Twilight isn't this cheesy um, it's, you know, it's, it's played out and everything, but it takes itself seriously. It's not, uh, and I think audiences respond to that. I don't see the people showing up for Ellie Conway's book signings showing up for camp, um, you know, in that way. So you're right from, from the word go, there's just all these problems with the movie and it just kind of gets worse. I mean, how do you make Sam Rockwell uninteresting well matthew vaughn found a way and and i think i should we're going to beat up a lot on matthew vaughn tonight which is unfortunate but i mean i want to place a lot of this blame at the hands of jason fuchs or should i say the people who allowed him to write this movie uh because i don't know what he wrote um mark or katie jump in here we've been we've been jawing a lot tell us about your thoughts on argyle uh i can let katie go first or i could go for it, it it's up to you katie it, so i'll go first one of the things sorry about my scratches one of the things that when I was watching the movie, uh, it brought me in the beginning, it brought me back to Romancing the Stone and yes. which is one of my favorite films, like recreating, like she's writing the story and you see it um, like what she's seeing in her head. Um, one of the other things is that uh, the book signing that she's at, that's in Telluride, Colorado. I know that area. It's Sheridan um, Opera House. Um, hats off to me going to tell your right horror show. So immediately when I saw that outside, I'm like, I know that place. I know that you guys, I know that you, you, I know you were the DiCaprio is. meme. You were pointing yeah, at the, I was at the, the one. TV. Oh, 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 that's, I know. I know you guys don't care, but, um, it's like that to me was just a great little moment. Yes. The, it's, but the thing with this film is that it's just ridiculously fun. Mm -hmm. I just had a great time with it. It went from romancing the stone to long kiss. Good night to like um, a few other things, a um, few other movies that I'm like blanking on right now. But I had fun with it. I loved, um, and the thing with Matthew Vaughn is that this is very quintessential Matthew Vaughn. Like I'm actually able to see his films and it's like, that's exactly how he does fight choreography. That's exactly how he does um, different shots um, with uh, dialogue where people are, um, you know, having tit for tats and how they do that. He even has mastered his own line of like, and I say line of fireworks and explosions that are so his that it's like when I saw that, I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, I understand the explosions. I wasn't surprised at. But then when the fireworks going on, I was like, well, crap, you did that, too. Well done. All right. That's not I mean, it's not like that's hard to do. I mean, I don't think it's that hard to do. But when I see that fireworks scene, I'm like, no, that's very Matthew Vaughn. I think. Sam Rockwell is charming as ever. Um, I like the fact that uh, Henry Cavell, like no matter what he's in, he's just stiff as a board. And there's especially a scene where Henry and um, Sam Rockwell switch when they're doing a fight. I love that. I thought that was great because she's looking um, as um, Ellie Conway, the writer, she's looking at um, her character doing this fight, but then it's actually Sam Rockwell doing the fight and going back and forth. That was fun as hell um, to me. Yes, it was a little long and I thought it started out a little slow with her. I wasn't for sure if I was going to be into um, Bryce Dallas Howard with this character. Slowly but surely, I got into it. But I mean, anyone who thinks this is going to be anything other than ridiculously fun, I've got two words for you guys. Cat backpack. I mean... Once you see that in anything, I it, I know it's not going to be like this isn't going to be the next um, uh, Bond film or anything like that. Although I definitely can't see why uh, Henry Cavill is like, you know, one of the front runners for Bond. Um, I liked the 
all of the cast and their cameos, how catty they were. But yeah, from the very beginning, I thought this was going to be like Joan Walker doing her thing. And then Catherine O'Hare was going to be the Holland Taylor character. It's like, you need to get a man. Why don't you go out there and do that? I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. And I love this because I love that movie. So automatically, I just had that nostalgia factor in it. I, but yeah, um, to me, it's fun. Oh, and right now, and I've told you guys, I told Mark and um, Jeff this, this is my front runner for best song of 2024. Mm. I was listening to, I stayed through the credits. I added it to my reel. I, um, li- I've listened to that song probably about 20 times. Someone who was in the theater with me actually placed it on my Facebook page. And they said, I cannot get this song out of my head. I'm like, I know. Because it's three minutes and it's catchy as hell. So, you know, never say never. It could be an Oscar nominee for something. I can't get that song in my head because I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, the Boy George, Ariana DeBose song, yeah. Electric Energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll send it to you, Ian. And then no, no, please. That, that's a threat. Do not threaten me on a live, <laughs> live stream. Um, it's not like it's got <laughs> messages like, watch Argyle. It's going to be great. No, 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 it doesn't say anything like that. <laughs> I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I respect that you know you have your opinion. I'm glad you had a good time with it. I, as I was alluding to Mark the other night, um, I watched the movie. I was, I was physically involved with this film. In that, I'll see if I can recreate it. Um, I was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so are you kind of doing like a distressed Macaulay Culkin boging sort of like combo right there? Yeah, and I'm yeah. glad that, <laughs> the, that line I'm you glad... just said is funnier than anything in the movie. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm I'm just glad that the other three people in my opening night screening um, didn't see me doing all that because they might have called the police. But uh, no, I. Here's the thing, like, I, I don't agree Henry Cavill is, is, is always been stiff because I think of the movie that this movie should have been and a movie that everybody should have seen far more than they did. Another flop, a Guy Ritchie film. I know Matthew Vaughn started off as Guy Ritchie's producer and everything. Right. Um, and I do I do respect Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker. At least I did with his earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. But The Man from Uncle. If you want to see a fun movie that should have been a franchise for the last decade with Army Hammer and Henry Cavill playing a period piece that captured the mood and it it captured the fun and the adventure without leaning into camp because it had the balls to say to the audience, you might think this is campy and cheesy, but it's not. It's fun and there's a difference. And I think Vaughn also captured that in one of my favorite X-Men movies, X-Men First Class. You know, and I think uh, Kick-Ass, which, you know, that had the benefit of being based on a Mark Millar comic, was a great kind of uh, an over-violent, not exactly a deconstruction, but, you know, an answer to the safe kind of like productized comic book movie. I, I miss that danger and that inventiveness. I mean, Katie, you keep you in, in, descri- in praising the film, you are constantly talking about things that it reminded you of. Yeah. And I have no problem with that necessarily, but I want it to I want the present thing to have an identity of its own, especially if it's built around this big mystery and this big end campaign throughout the entire film. Like I'd say around the halfway point when it is revealed that Agent Argyle is in fact Ellie Conway, um, because like the born identity, she used to be a big super spy. She got a bad mission, took a nasty conk in the head woke up uh, and she didn't have an identity anymore and she took on the persona of this author for other spoiler reasons that we'll get into but that's a twist that's a that's a big thing to hang her hat on and, and it's a uh, good material to explore but then they do another twist and another twist and another twist and by the time it was all over i'm like this movie keeps throwing out these twists because it doesn't have anything else to say it's so desperate it's almost like the person, the screenwriter was doing literally the elevator pitch to the studio executive and the executive was like, I'm going to get off this. But wait, what if she and then he's like, no, seriously, I'm getting off now. But wait, what if they and but wait, please, please, sir, come back. Uh, that's that's the entire that, that's how I felt about this entire movie. And I was just I was bored. There's nothing funny. I Sam Rockwell, I think he can be charming, but he usually plays a character this felt like hey let's get sam rockwell rather than here's a part i want to write for sam rockwell and now mark 
I've said a lot. Jump in, please. <laughs> I had fun with this movie. This movie, I don't know what anybody was expecting from the trailers. I'm sorry. I don't. None of the trailers captured Quality. Me. Sorry. No. No, the trailers did not promise anything you didn't get in the film. It did I, not. Those, that, that ad campaign was not any more solid than the film was. I will say you saw a lot of it, but what you saw in the trailer, the tone and the energy you had in the trailer is what you got in the film. Now, the twists, yes. I even said in my review that there were one too many twists to where the film was thinking it was smarter than it was. Okay. I'll give you that. I still had fun with it. I was smiling. When we get to the smoke fight where they're shooting people in that, I was, I was laughing my ass off on this. Here's the thing that opening too. you guys talk about how, um, and again, mad respect for your, how you see it. The way I saw it though, was, it took me back to the cheesy Bond films, not the modern, the newer Bond films. It took me back to the cheesy Bond films. It's Matthew Vaughn doing Moonraker. It's Matthew Vaughn doing A View to a Kill, doing those ridiculous stunts when he's driving the, the small car through the vehicles, through the building. This is a parody. This is supposed to be a satire. This is not actually intended to be a very serious spy film. I don't think it anybody's disputing was. that, Mark. The fact of the matter is, though, is the plot is disputing you, okay? They're basically telling us that she's such a cool spy that they're coming after her because of all this, that, and the other but thing. The and she's writing a spy film that doesn't suggest she's a spy. It suggests that she's doing a parody of Bond. But, but the, yeah. thing, the thing is why they're actually coming after her is not because she can predict the future. It's what Sam Rockwell character is thinking because that is what he was told, but that's not actually why they're coming after her, which is what we find later is because <clears throat> she knows she is an actual spy. She knows where this master file is, which is what it's actually hinging on. They're not actually coming after her because she's some fortune teller and that she's a great writer. They've just been waiting for her to reveal the getting close to the being able to figure out where this actual master file went that was going to reveal that the secret organization re is exists that's right and that 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 does lean into one of the twists because you're right the um the sam rockwell character whose name was sorry <coughs> aiden wild <laughs> i need i need a barf bag guys um but so he thought that Ellie had the key to something because she was so uh, prescient in her or right in, yeah. it's the Tom Quest Tom Clancy thing all over right. again. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that the secret organization, the directorate, um, they Ellie was not only a secret spy, she was also a traitor within the super structure of government who was trying to take down, I guess, the the global world order, working for Brian Cranston, who played who posed as her father. All of this stuff, you know, that's fine, I guess. But it goes back to the reality of the movie is trying to paint. I could see if if they had set this up as she was a writer who was renowned for writing great spy parodies, maybe. But at no point did anybody at the book signing say, I love your novels. They're so ridiculous. They're so stupid. They make fun of all these spy tropes. No, these people are eating it up as if it's latter day James Bond. And there's no there's there, there's a there's a big break to what Jeff was saying between the universe this movie thinks it's building and the one that it's actually presenting to an audience that should be much smarter than did, what the filmmakers think that they are. Did you guys see La the lost uh, was it the lost city with Sandra Bullock and Channing yes. Tatum Channing? Yes. Hell no. This yes. this reminded me a lot of this, and the way they're receiving the author is a lot like this. The fans there aren't taking it like receiving it like a Tom Clancy, James Bond. They're, they're taking this like a a a spy equivalent of a bodice ripper, if you will, for lack of a better term. <laughs> That's how all the fans in the audience are taking it. They're not all big fans because this is an in-depth Tom Clancy spy novel. She's writing spy fantasy, and that fits the opening. She's not right. writing serious spy 
item. There, there's a difference between writing a serious spy thriller like a Tom Clancy and writing something that's, you know, fun, and then there's stuff that's that's camp, right? This is pu- purely in the camp category, which I think we can all agree. Yeah. But the people, uh, like, I go back to The Hunger Games or Twilight. Now, whatever you might think of those movies, uh, the authors took the material seriously and wrote for an audience that could also take it seriously. It wasn't fun. It wasn't camp. It wasn't high art or very, no. you know, uh, deep, you know, literature, but it had its, uh, it, it knew its audience. I don't think this movie knows the audience that they wrote Ellie Conway to cater to. Mm-hmm. No, and I, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I'm, uh, sorry. I'm just sorry. Um, you know, comedy is very subjective. Um, and, you know, if you guys found it amusing and were delighted by it, that's fine. I will say this. I think, though, when you think about what Vaughn has already done with the Kingsman, um, it did a couple of things. There were a lot better surprises in that, and there weren't quite as many uh, mm-hmm. rug pulls that I think this one seems like it has to, you know, be on steroids now because he's already done so many rug pulls before that. Well, if I'm going to do it again, I got to keep topping myself, which is how these things always operate. I mean, it's interesting. They just were talking to Jenna Ortega about the next. Uh, Wednesday series for Netflix. And she goes, well, we're going to make it even bigger and more action-packed and almost like everything's a movie. It's like, no, it's a TV no. show. And it's one long one long story that was character-driven. That's precisely the wrong thing you don't want to do here. And I think with Matthew Vaughn, because he keeps coming back to this material over and over again now, it's his third time running, uh, he just kind of wants to top himself. But it becomes ludicrous to the point where none of it matters. It all looks fake. The cat... As charming as he could have been in this movie, disappears for literally the second act completely. And I think he was fake the entire time. And yeah. maybe there oh, were yeah. a few scenes of him where he was a real cat, but it wouldn't have been charming if it was a real cat. Did you ever see the episode of Mission Impossible where they had a real orange tabby having to retrieve a, a necklace? Like, what? I mean, it's like when you have a real animal doing it, it's so much better and just <clears throat> puts well. you into the movie where all this stuff just is taking you out over and over again. But the one thing I will say, and, and this is where about subjective comedy. There were some very witty lines throughout Kingsman. Uh, Matthew Vaughn has written some very funny stuff. I mean, when uh, Jennifer Lawrence does the trick in front of Oliver Platt, and he goes, best trick I've ever seen, that's a witty line. There's not a single line in this movie like that. There's not anything in here as funny as Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And and for that matter, Layer Cake. He directed Layer Cake, which I think was a slightly, uh, you know, kind of, a little bit comical spin on the danger of being mm-hmm. in the, the mob world and all that kind of stuff with our friend Daniel Craig back in his youth. Um, but it was witty. And I just think, you know how I could tell it's not good. It's not as funny as it needs to be. And it should have been better once more through the typewriter. Brian Cranston overacts. Whenever he's in mm-hmm. something that's not good, he overacts. And he starts mm-hmm. doing this stuff all the way through this movie like this. <laughs> like he's James Finlayson, you know, playing the frustrated foil of Laurel and Hardy. It's bad acting. And Sam Rockwell starts mugging too because they haven't given him any good material. And and poor Bryce Dallas Howard, it's a big starring role for her, and she's not good in it. She just doesn't have the comic chops. When Kathleen Turner is walking around and romancing the stone, looking for Kleenex, and she's looking at there's no Kleenex because she's crying she's so moved by her own material she's hilarious and this is the girl who a couple years the actress a couple years earlier was the femme fatale in body heat bryce dallas howard she's not likable she's not physical in this she's not the right kind of age or person for it um and she's not funny and they don't give her any lines which is part of the problem but she doesn't have the natural comic inklings of a Sandra Bullock or Kathleen Turner in that movie or some of the other actresses who are very good comedians. I mean, look at Rose Byrne in Spy, where she's playing the villain, and she never breaks character. She's always talking like this. Oh, you're so witty and stupid, aren't you? And she's hilarious, but she's also giving good dialogue. And I was waiting for somebody to write a scene where there's banter, where there's wit. Instead, Matthew Vaughn's new version of wit is 10 people get shot and we don't really care about them and they get shot in terrible ways very close up or their necks are broken on the train or whatever else everybody's disposable but i just wish there was one one scene where oh my god that is really witty dialogue and there just isn't that here and i well, just think and it's, then- it's not as good because of that it needed to be better well there's also the the was it the twist and stomp 
thing where uh or the you know, skating they're, they're on all... the oil slick jesus christ well, I we'll, love we'll that. Oh, I love that. that was a mark it that, was, like, that was hilarious yeah. I loved it. no I knew, it wasn't i knew that was gonna it come was not me. hilarious and first oh, of yeah. all she wasn't good in it she doesn't even know how to make all that pratfall stuff funny she's just not a good well that comedian. that was that was not bryce dallas howard i mean well uh, that course, was all but... cg <laughs> Um, and probably and look, a little bit of Tanya Harding in some of that. The triple Lindy. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, the triple Lindy. Let me let me just and this is something that bothered me, and perhaps it shouldn't, but it again it pulled me out of the reality of this movie. Five years ago, Ellie Conway was a super spy. You know, she was working for the global suppressed structure of MI6 or whatever you want to call it. She was like a female James Bond. She was a female Wolverine. She was like the best of the best at what she did. And it was only this tragedy that kind of took her off the, the playing field. Five years later, she's an author. She spent a lot of time like sitting in couches and coffee houses, writing books. She's become a bit frumpy in her middle age. Now, that's fine. I think that's a great premise for a movie. You know, talking about go. You look at uh, at what Chris the the big joke of Chris Hemsworth uh, between the last two Avengers movies was mm -hmm. he got depressed so he became quote unquote Fat Thor, right? <laughs> and it wasn't until he started like moving mountains again that he got in shape and go kick ass. If this were a Zach Galifianakis comedy from the early 2010s, it would have been a big joke, or like Melissa McCarthy in Spy, the idea that these people who are not really in tune with the biz and aren't physically necessarily capable of taking on, uh, you know, a room full of like armed super spies or secret agents or whatever. That's kind of funny. In this movie, I'm asked to buy that Bryce Dallas Howard, after re realizing accidentally that she's been a sleeper, like at a sleep secret agent, can all of a sudden do all these crazy physical things. I'm like, no, like there, there could even be opportunity to play that for laughs, but they don't. I'm just supposed to sit there and be like, oh yeah, she can do all of these things. It's all, I guess it's all muscle memory. I'm like, no, this isn't, it's not clever. It's not funny. And it's not believable, even in the realm of this movie where nothing's believable. There's nothing to hold onto here. It's an entire film that I can say, I'm in this reality. I was constantly being pulled out and yanked out and asking questions and trying to like make sense of twists and none of it works. I think Matthew Vaughn needs to stop making movies about, you know, people with secret identities and secret societies and action and stuff and just do something different. See, and I disagree with some of the, uh, some of the points you've made because um, this was very similar in Long Kiss Goodnight. Like she had five, um, Gina Davis had eight years where she was like, you know, a housewife and kind of like lost the muscle tone that she had. And Bryce Dallas Howard, it's like, I like the fact that she looks the way that she does. I mean, look. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with her looking the way that she does. But in any other context, that would be played for absurdity or comedy. Because I'm sorry, if you spend half a decade letting yourself go, and I'm not saying she's like, you know, huge or anything like that. But I'm saying, like, even if you look back at what she was, what she, the the way she carried herself, even in Jurassic World, where she was like running from T-Rexes in high heels. I'm like, that's much more believable than whatever she's doing here, especially when it comes to the ice skating thing. I think one of the reasons it's so ridiculous, I'm like, no, no. Even if even if she had the physique that she did back in Jurassic World, no. Well, and I mean, I actually considered wearing the gold dress that um, I have a similar gold dress that she wore <laughs> at the end of um, the film that I was like, no, I'm gonna show it. I'm gonna wear that gold dress, and I'm like, you should have. Go get I it. Know, wait, wait. I know. Wait, <laughs> hold on. Is it a gold dress or is it a blue and black dress? <laughs> no, it is full glow. It is full gold, and all that that'll stuff. set those tons of wagon on the internet. And as you were saying, you know, there are certain points where she is like all comes back to her, but it's not funny. I mean, she has that whole scene where they're in the, I don't know, the computer room of the. Um, directorate and she's like oh very clever all that stuff and push and it's like oh crap i didn't i forgot about that like the password and all that stuff so there are a couple scenes like that but then you also have like Catherine o'hara like not only has she forgotten everything 
then Catherine O'Hara is doing like the whirly sign. It's like, oh, and do a little bit of um, nope, or it's like, listen to the ballerina. Once you have this, I have full possession over you and all that. Um, but I mean, like Mark, I thought I, I thought that the um, skating thing was absolutely ridiculous and fun because it's like once they got into that situation, it's like, okay, you can't shoot. You have to use knives. Um, anyone who shoot, it's like the whole place is going to go up. And it's like when it's like, how did I, how did I lose my memory? It's like, well, you got like, no, no. What do they say? It's like, oh, no, you were a professional ice skater. It's like, is any of that true? It's like, oh, no, you can skate. It's like on it. And it's like, go, girl, fucking kill all those people. Shoot them up. Done. Dead. I don't care. They're minions. They're obviously not good guys for some reason. Um, but I don't know. I just had dumb fun with it. And it just made me laugh, especially at the places that are so overly the top dumb. Like the one, Mark, I love that you changed your name to Mark the Whirlybird Classic because I didn't know what the Whirlybird was <laughs> in this film three different times. Um, the one biggest time when all the smoke and all that stuff, it's like none of this would happen. And yet it's so dumb. I am loving it. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's again, it just was ridiculously fun for me. And see, and I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same camp. I am not saying at all. This is a, a brilliant film. No a, entertaining film. I, 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 I'm not saying this is a, is a brilliant film. This is a, a solid spy film. This is one of Vaughn's better stuff. I'm not saying that I had dumb fun with it as well. But then again, going into it, I wasn't expecting much of anything. And I actually chuckled a few times. I will say that Vaughn is held back by the PG 13 rating. Yes. Um, and I think that, that, and, and I even mentioned this, uh, when I first talked about it to someone else, I was like, it, he really needs, he, he handled the action parts just fine. And here it was Vaughn. I, I love the style. I love the colored smoke sequence, that whole thing, the ice skating thing. I knew that was going to come into play the minute I saw the oil on the ground. And I remembered that she, they mentioned her ice skating. I'm like, okay, some way, shape or form, she's going to be out there skating. <laughs> and I knew that was coming. That was all foreshadowed. The, the thing I will say Vaughn, had trouble with here where I think he was able to handle it better in the Kingsman series was because he was able to be a bit more mature in the dialogue and the approach of the quieter moments of dialogue to where here it felt like he wasn't quite sure how to handle the, the character moments, if you will, between the people in, in a PG 13 setting. <laughs> If that makes any sense at all, it, I, I think, I, I, I think he was trying to do something a little bit cleaner than the Kingsmen, but it felt like he didn't quite know how to handle that material when it came to the characters versus more mature characters, to where you can have them say whatever you want, and you know, not have to worry about losing your rating or the violence too. I could have used some more blood in this as well but i'm a yeah. sick, I'm, I, I'm a sick person but <laughs> you know what i'm saying i had dumb fun no this is not a great great movie but miss those leg blades slicing people yes yes a leg blade needed to take at least one limb off please yes and have it go skittering in the blood and then have her grab the the appendage that she cut off and then beat and them with it. people with it beat them with it that is oh, on right there we're right here buddy we're right here huh? right but i mean i i don't have a problem with any of that because first of all i don't think you gain anything by adding a bunch of like squibs and gore to this movie because if a movie works it works you know pg pg 13 or r also it doesn't match with the tone of the type of story that ellie would try and say this sure. is this mm -hmm. is within the action the pg-13 action spy genre and as far as struggling with characters having to be restrained by non-r-rated dialogue then vaughn needs to go back to producing because any director worth this salt and i think vaughn used to be worth his salt not so much anymore I and mean, this does again come back to david fuchs and his uh, terrible dialogue um James. you know it's it's hmm 
James Fuchs, I think. Was it James? Uh, Jason. Jason. Jason, Jason. Sorry. Okay, so we were all wrong, <laughs> except, for, except for Jeff. Um, okay. Jason Fuchs. Um, although I I prefer to to think of the other pronunciation that I could. Um, uh, oh. So this. I was waiting look, for that actually. I, I have <laughs> no I have no kind words for this man. Um, Ian doesn't give a Fuchs. That's what we all. He doesn't give a Fuchs at all. Right. Fuchs, um, you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay. I look, I'm sorry. He's, uh, he's, oh my gosh. Okay. So he's one for three. He also wrote, uh, ice age, continental drift, uh, wonder woman. Oh, he wrote, and, he wrote the story. Yes. Yeah. He and, did, yeah. uh, and it chapter two, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but, but Don't here's the thing. Like if, you know, you can write clever dialogue, you can direct actors, being clever with each other, being charming, even being romantic, no matter what the rating is. Uh, Vaughn, I think, you know, earlier on, I had, I've watched, I watched the first Kingsman and I hated it. Um, and I didn't watch the sequels. I know they've done a bunch of spinoffs. And I know at the end they try and like sort of loosely tie that into this universe mm-hmm. and everything. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get the reaction, Katie, because I'm one of like three people on the planet who hates the Kingsman. For me, that was what should have been a clever PG-13 movie um, with just like a foul mouth kid like swearing all throughout it. And like that's <laughs> the only gimmick that it had. And that everyone says, but what about the church scene? I'm like, I have big problems with the yeah. church scene because it's cartoonish. It's stereotypical. And frankly, I found it offensive. But that's just me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Vaughn is a talented director. It just a lot of it depends on the the script, the material that he's working with. And again, I look at something like Kick-Ass, which was in a lot of ways very over the top, but also very street level. And it understood this, the, the genre, the source material, the comic books that it was trying to adapt. Um, I look at X-Men First Class, which took us into it. Like by that time, it was like, oh, God, another X-Men movie. But it found a way to put a fresh spin on it by taking it to a time period, and introducing us to characters we'd never seen before. And they had the guts to sideline Wolverine, take Hugh Jackman, who was like, he's the poster child for the whole franchise, then put him into a sink, like a, a literally a 30 second cameo. And he gets to deliver the film's one F-bomb. That yeah. is genius. Right. It, but that, can I build to on Jeff's that? point that's okay. to Jeff's point sorry that's that's more clever than anything you see in Argyle I mean I, it's interesting our conversation has been very uh comparative and yeah. uh both you and uh Mark Katie have been talking about how it reminded you of this and you like this part about it and all that and again it's two different angles on it but for me, those are precisely the reasons I don't like this movie because they are doing too many of those and too many things that were done better without feeling the need to work a little bit harder to make it stronger or smarter. I'll give you one example um, that also drove me nuts. And, and and this is sort of, I felt this whole thing was sort of like, to your point, uh, Ian, that elevator pitch where the hack screenwriter keeps just almost missing the the sorry kid get out of here but he keeps you know the door from closing so i can keep pitching but on almost every level i was disappointed by something in here it's it's too derivative it's not witty enough the characters really aren't developed enough it's not cast particularly well let me tell you i did i'm a cat lover and they don't have a cat in it but he's in sort of it but when he is in it, then they abuse him a couple of times too, which is also to me a no-no. When it's easy pickings, like, oh, the villain is kicking him and throwing him off this, and we're laughing at me because the cat could die. And I know that that's how comedy sometimes works in these things, and a lot of people aren't pet lovers. But that starts to get a little bit close to like, really, are we going to really? That's the that's the wit we're going to channel this in. But I'll tell you one other thing that really pissed me off, and maybe it, I was colored from this from the first ten minutes. They set up Dua Lipa and John Senna on the poster. They're very prominent on that. They're in this first 10 minutes of it. I'm not sure why John Senna is there. It's not like James Bond is his high kick. It's almost like, oh, we're parroting True Lies now too. But he basically is there for one funny bit, and that's where he pulls Dua Lipa right off the motorbike as she's you know, speeding by. And that's very funny. They show in the preview. And it's a glorified cameo. And that doesn't make any sense. And they don't really come back to it. And again, I'm asking myself, why is this a spy thriller that's supposedly interesting or what world is, uh, is she writing about? But I just feel all of this was kind of lazy. 
Like, we'll put John Cena in. He's kind of popular now, and he's a big oaf, and maybe he'll be the muscle, and uh, maybe that's a good movie. I don't know. Maybe, But they didn't make that movie, and he's in it for five five seconds, it seems, you know? And and those are just more disappointments in this, that it's, it's, it's kind of this bait and switch, or it's half-baked, or two derivative of other things. I just felt walking out of this like, I've seen this movie before. It's been done better. It's not cast right. It's not given the wit it needed. Um, and I'm with you, and I think Kingsman's overrated. I mean, I think it's a little too violent, maybe a little too British in its way. But they did have some pretty British dialogue that they were parodying, especially those kinds of characters here. I'm, I I just was so bereft of laughter. And, and, and honestly, Katie, maybe because you won that thing and you're sitting down in front, there wasn't much laughter in that theater. I was sitting there thinking, like, I'm not the only person who's despising this film. And then, I mean, I'm not saying you can't have your opinion, but I'm just saying I think you're building it up in your mind because of those nostalgic things you talked about, knowing Telluride and your affection for Romans in Stone. Because if you took all that muscle memory of your own out of this, I think you've got a pretty bereft film that has been done better much place for and and one last thing i'll just say about matthew vaughn is what a step backwards he's got to get out of this now you can say oh it's a matthew vaughn movie and it's so this no he didn't do that in in uh, the two uh, uh in the uh the x movie and he produced the the days of future past which had a very uh serious and yet very witty tone to it as well layer cake is a terrific film i mean he needs to get back into doing stuff that challenges him as an artist not just as a technician and i think that's about all this movie is is like, can I make this look believable? Yeah, pretty believable, but not really. I, I want to ask, was Romancing the Stone 1984? Is that when that came out? I believe so, I yes. That's right. Early 80s, I, yeah. I would, if, if that's the case, and hell, even if it's not, it's my show. I, I would like <laughs> to do one of these, the series that you, and we did a couple of these, If You Like, You'll Love. I have not watched Romancing yeah, the Stone yeah. in a long time. I would like to revisit that. Not necessarily as a point of comparison, but I, you guys are talking about it so much. I'm like, I remember really liking that movie and thinking it was clever. So uh, put, let's put a pin in that for a future show. I have a question. Uh, again, I'm uh, the, the details, they come to me in flashes and they just kind of like float away. Is the idea that Ellie Conway actually was Agent Argyle? Is that that's that's the conceit here, right? Yeah, yeah because and yeah, then, every time and he then, talks and then to her, Sam it's Rockwell memory kind of coming back. Mm -hmm. But Sam Rockwell's character was the John, John Cena character, right? Yeah, John yeah. Cena. Okay. So we get frequently in this movie, there's one scene where it actually lines up, but the rest of it, Ellie keeps having these moments where she blinks her eyes and yeah. she'll see Sam Rockwell's character turn into Henry Cavill. Oh, there's yeah. one scene where she's looking in a mirror, yep. like in a bathroom or something, and she's like, I think he's talking to her, she's talking to herself or whatever. Mm -hmm. But again, and maybe this like, well, sure, mine's all scrambled or whatever. But going back to your point, Jeff, as far as like thinking this stuff through, when she's blinking her eyes, she should be seeing John Cena beating a whole bunch of people up. Yes, that's right. Well, now, not, not, not necessarily because at first she doesn't see herself as a spy. She sees him as a spy. And so therefore yes. she has an image of Henry Cavill as the spy. So when she sees the spy guy who says he's spy doing spy things, she's first imagining overlaying the spy, her image of a spy over him, not the Cena character. No, I, I get it, Mark. I get it. And that is the easy explanation. If they wanted to do something that was consistent and smart, they would have played with mirrors or something like yeah, when they're in the bathroom and uh, in the train car and there's that way over long sequence of the door keeps opening and Henry Cavill is like got you know these twins in a, in a headlock and then he's like fighting off all these people if she had looked up and seen in the you know in the mirror or something like herself and, and changing into him something like that play with that but otherwise, it doesn't quite match up. I understand what you're saying, but when you get deeper into the film and you realize that these characters are actual counterparts to real people, right. and that could be a clue to her memory coming back, it's just, it's sloppy. But the, the Henry Cavill jumps from Sam Rockwell to her as she gets closer to finally realizing she's the actual spy, is. which yeah. is why it moves from Sam Rockwell to her when she's talking to henry cavill but, in the but, mirror. But right Mark, but i'm saying this 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 whole movie sequence that we open up with has these characters in it yes. that are 
archetypes of the people that she actually knew. Mm-hmm. So again, work with what you have established rather than this fancy, you know, I have to sit there and like work this out. Like, okay, if you, I, I like what you're suggesting, Mark, about the identity kind of revealing itself as it gets closer, but it just doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think they did that work. I think the audience is doing that work for them to make up for the fact that the filmmakers don't know what they're talking about. It also feels like it's an attempt to put more of Henry Cavill in the film. Well, they got to do something. He's in well, it for like well, five exactly. Years. But that's what I'm saying he's is in the front keep, center. Yeah, they keep, and he's in all the marketing. He's front and center, like he's the biggest star, even in the trailer. Um, and it's interesting, Katie, because uh, again, I'm not trying to uh, uh, say you that you can, of course, enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. But when I remember, and I haven't seen it since I originally saw it, but in um, in the Gina Davis's character was a little bit prickly. And she was also, you know, she had things like she could chop up the vegetables really fast. And there were little hints of the skill set that she has had as a spy in the in the long kiss goodbye. Um, yeah. And she I, ended anyway. up, she was like when she was reading. Yeah. And then Samuel Jackson helps trigger and all that like, stuff. It was where that, like eight here, years it's like there's life. very little of that other than this sort of weirdness where you think it's the author sort of thinking about, oh, this character I wrote, what would the character who I wrote do in this? And maybe that's where she gets sort of her bravery. It, it almost plays like play it again, Sam, where Woody Allen is talking to Humphrey Bogart and helping him, you know, be a better date because Bogey's the cool guy. He's like, go ahead, son, kiss her. But don't kiss her too hard first. You know, you got to. And I mean, it feels like that more to me than some of the stuff that Mark is playing. But again, I think to Ian's point, I find all that sloppy because like, well, what is it? And then is Catherine here good or bad and back and forth? And oh, geez, you know, and then suddenly they're in different places where they physically couldn't make it. And it just I know you're not going to really need to be too logical in a movie like this but a movie has to have its own stakes its own logic and its own believability even if it's a fantasy you know um and i think that they're sloppy here for the sake of this goofy thing that goofy thing this expediency this need to give cavill more to do etc cetera, etc cetera. on top of that um we've got samuel l jackson um in the movie <laughs> and i i this is i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna Go back here a second. Um, can I go back here a sec? Uh, the before we knew Bruce Willis had aphasia, it was an internet meme that he showed up in a lot of movies, and in a lot of these movies, sometimes he would be front and center. A lot of times he'd be like sitting in a diner or sitting behind a desk collecting a paycheck. That's what people thought. Turns out there's a different reason behind it. Sam Jackson in this movie, he walks out of a door and shows people to a room and then sits behind a desk and looks at a computer waiting for a file to load. And then he says, woohoo, and spins around in his chair. And he's watching I the had, Lakers. And he's, watching not, the, he's yeah. watching the Lakers. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't that the same thing that he was doing in Kingsman? Or I was waiting for that thing to load where the whole world was going to be going crazy and killing everybody. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, I got to pull over a second. I got to pull over a second, gang. Because we have. Yes, Petty. It's it's Petty. We haven't seen you, Petty, in (laughs) a long time. Thank you very much. Hi, Ian. It's good to know that the band continues to get together to talk about movies. And I love that you're back with us, Petty, because it's been too long. And I want to say, I don't do this often. I haven't done it in a long time since the channel became monetized. But folks, if you want to leave a comment, you can leave it as a super chat. And Petty, you are the first person to send a super chat to the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel. Wow. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Now, you don't have to pay to get a comment, but we certainly appreciate it. And uh, (laughs) what do you mean? Ha ha, my bad. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you very much. I I had to pay to be on this show. What are you talking about? No. You're not supposed to give those secrets away, Mark. Mark, you're paying for it now. I I paid for it. I paid for it. I'm not paying anything. I didn't know it was going to be this mean. (laughs) Poor Katie. She's in pain. Is that the money you wired me then? I don't understand. Oh, did I wire I, you the money actually? Uh, I thought it was Ian was supposed to get it. Well, that's okay. Look, no, you, look, you whatever like you guys whatever you guys think, it's the exact opposite, but then it's also the truth and the opposite of that. See, we're keeping an Argyle here. Exactly. Um, exactly. So all right. Uh I think I think that's a good place to to, 
to end it. Do we have any final thoughts on Argyle? I mean, we've I think we've covered uh, pretty much all of this movie kind of like stem to stern. Um, and I appreciate that we have a wide variety of opinions. Yeah, this is what makes it a, a robust conversation. I don't know that we necessarily changed minds, but uh, I think that that it's a it's a great way to look at a movie that I think people are either like writing off or they're not seeing. But I think we've gone pretty deep here. But any closing thoughts, Katie? Would you jump in. Two things. One, um, any time you're going to have a movie with an animal, they're they're going to do CGI now because. PETA is going to get all over you. There's always a possibility of something happening to the animal. So that's that. That's maybe one advantage of AI that I'm okay with. Two, I don't feel like we talked about Stardust enough, which is one of Matthew Vaughn and one of my favorite Matthew Vaughn films. It's a so wonderful I just wanna, movie. Yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Not that we're going to go into another direction with that, but everyone keeps bringing up former um, Matthew Vaughn films, and I love Stardust. Written by Neil Gaiman and starring uh, Charlie Cox, Daredevil himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. among other great cast. It, Stardust is a film that is just one you have to watch to understand. You can't quite synopsize it. You just go, mm-hmm. no, watch this film. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Love it. That's no, it Mark. Hmm. Oh, well, thank you. No, you, um, you can let Jeff go first. That's fine. His uh-oh. final thought. <laughs> All right, Jeff, let's have it. Um, I dislike it when people sort of do the same old, same old, same old when in, especially in Hollywood where you don't get a chance to make a lot of movies. And maybe that's the tricky thing is he wants to keep making movies and they ask him to do this and they give him the right money and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's a, st- a big step backwards for him. I think he's, I'll, I'll give him credit for all he's done before, including Stardust. Uh, he's got to do something else now. He's got to walk away from this. He's mastered that look, that style. It's definitive. You know, it's a Matthew Vaughn film. I'm not interested in that anymore. Do something else. Do something that's real. Do something that isn't a parody. How many more spy parodies can you do as one filmmaker? It's ridiculous. Yeah. I I want to see an imaginative, like straightforward spy action movie. Not necessarily a thriller, but something. I want to see the serious version of this movie, honestly. Weird. Mark, <laughs> close this out. Bring us it, home. It, it It's... I'll, I'll go back to my, fa- my my saying that I probably repeat way too often, and I apologize because my brain is broken like that. But I will say, this is why I love movies. Because everyone can watch the same movie and get something different out of it. You either get, you get either something like you get the reaction that Jeff has. And I'm, I don't think anybody here is saying anybody else's opinion is wrong because however you receive the oh, that, movie. That's me, Mark. I'm the one. Who's well, saying. that's you. <laughs> you tell me I'm wrong all the time. So that's okay. It's your show. The glass is half what, full in your world. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is, again, just to reiterate, uh, Katie and I, I think, are both on the impression. We're, we're not saying this is a good film by any means. And everybody made great points ian and jeff you both make great points and i can see your perspective from it for me when i went into it i was more i will say i was more entertained than i thought i was going to be but that's because as soon as i realized what type of film it was going to be which was pretty quickly i just kind of turned my brain off and just see how it was going to unfold and i've got a reputation of of liking films that everybody hates i still enjoy batman v superman i don't care i will i i do enjoy that film i don't get where everybody's talking about the mustache thing but anyway uh (laughs) with this film with this film there are many elements i found entertaining enough to where i didn't feel like i wasted my time now will it be a film that i go back and watch probably not Okay, but there were there were enough elements in here to where I paid my ticket. I got entertained. I came out. I was I was chuckling. I felt pretty good. I go. Yeah, that was a pretty dumb movie, but I had fun with it. But I like dumb movies sometimes, especially with the week and the month that I've had. I go in there. I didn't get anything too heavy. You know, uh, the cat where the scenes where the cat is real. Apparently, that is actually Vaughn's cat. That's the cat that they got their kid for Christmas. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it's a Nepo cat as he described it, <laughs> but, but Nepo kitty, you no, you guys make great points. And, and I'm even with you in that. I mean, I liked the King's man. My coworker despised the King's man. She hated the King's man quite a bit. And they're going to make two more. At least it's in pre-production. There's two more King's <sighs> man 
films listed, which will be interesting. Um, but no, I would love to see Vaughn do something else. I am with you on that camp. I think, I think uh, he can branch out from that. I think he's sticking around and doing this genre and beating this genre, uh, you know, this dead horse, similar to we've seen other directors do the same thing. M. Night, <clears throat> you know, when M. Night plays a little more straight film, it's actually pretty entertaining versus look at my twist. You know, he's played, it, it, at least they're a little more interesting. So for me, I found entertainment in this film. I get why it's bombing. I get why it's not liked. And again, I probably won't revisit it, but I had fun with it, uh, even with its warts and all. But I can totally see where you guys are coming from. And it is something that he's got to get away from because he is a better director, as he's shown in the past. Yeah. He can handle better material than this. You know, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where I wonder if he made this film just so that he could actually make another film. <laughs> kind yeah, of, another Kingsman. Probably. The, no, well, no, no. Besides another Kingsman, he has one other project that apparently the plot is under wraps or whatnot. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, there it is. I, I, I see everybody's opinion. And for me, I was entertained, but I would say it's just like in my review. I said, go to an early show, like five buck Tuesday, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Or, ca or catch it on streaming. I'm, you know, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you don't need to see oh, it. Yeah. Movie, but, It'll be, I mean, it's an Apple, and we didn't talk about this really, but it's another outrageously expensive quarter billion dollar plus Apple movie, much like Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon, that is just making no impression on people i think it's very much the problem of well this is going to be streaming in like three weeks uh and given this it's going to be streaming by this coming weekend probably but uh yeah there's no urgency there's no big screen cinematic i have to see this in a theater about argyle in particularly necessary necessarily but again that's a whole other topic for another day so i'm gonna let everyone get out of here I appreciate you hanging out for the folks who hung out with us and, and watched live, whether you stayed the entire time or came and went. We we'll love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Petty. It's great to have you back again. I, I hope we see you on future live streams such as next week, next Thursday, because I'm not going to do a Valentine's Day show. I got problem, uh, problems, not problems, plans. Is that a Freudian slip? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Valentine's Day. Uh oh, gonna have problems if she watches this and, and gets this. <laughs> oh, um, uh, but I got plans with the lady. Uh, it's we're gonna hang out and probably you know watch some crappy Amazon or Netflix movie rom com, but you know, we're cheesy like that. Hallmark, Hallmark show, there's plenty up there. Oh, no, we reserve that for the holidays, sir. We're, oh, we're a holy okay. family. Um, but no, uh, so Thursday next week, we're gonna be back at 7 30 p.m. Central talking about what mark contends is an actual marvel movie i contend that it's a marvel adjacent sony film yes we're going to be talking madam web uh typical marvel fan don't want to own up to their ugliness so they're going to try to pass it off as adjacent even though they do the multiverse and so it's part of that so that's okay <laughs> that's okay i understand you're, you just don't have the grit that dc fans do i understand god I understand. here we go I've got I've got grit. It's just you know I pick it out of my teeth and you know down the drain. Anyway, um, yeah, join us back then uh, next week. I don't even know if that made sense. I'm tired. Um, oh wait, wait, hold on a second. Petty's back. One other super chat. Thank you very much for two thousand Argentinian something or other. I'll have to look that up and see what exactly the the currency is. But I appreciate it. Have you discussed or will you discuss the Masters of the Universe revolution in the future? Or is it something that's not within the scope of the channel? I don't know. I, it's it's a Netflix TV show. It's also uh, by Kevin Smith. And I used to like Kevin Smith. And then he made Clerks 3. So I don't think I've quite forgiven him. The last question. It's not much, but I remember that I live in a third world country. <laughs> oh, about okay. I, for a second, I thought you were talking about Masters of the Universe. Um, oh. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, whatever, Patty. We love you. And we definitely appreciate your generosity. Um, so yes, thank you. Uh, I don't know. Do you want me to, do you want us to talk about master universe revolution? Maybe we do a double feature of the 1987 Canon classic and then see where, where the series has come. I don't know. <laughs> the ideas are infinite. Um, okay. But I'm Ian Simmons of kicking the seat. Mark 
the Warly Bird Krawcheck of the Spoiler Room, Special Mark Productions, uh, Katie Glidewell, the blonde in front herself, Jeff York of the Establishing Shot. Thank you all very much. You've been very patient, very engaged. I love you all. And we'll be back next week talking movies. Uh, and also thank you uh, out there uh, who hung out. I think I already said that. But uh, until next time, whenever that is, whatever that is, thanks. Take care. And you really can skip this one wait yeah, for streaming. next Not next live week stream, but next week out. is webin time it's webin time i'm ending the stream marketing <laughs>